not alone. We are not alone. We are not alone. God is with us. We are not alone. We are not alone. We are not alone. God is with us. We are not alone. We are not alone. We are not alone. God is with us. We are not alone. We are never make some introductory words, just share some personal things that are going on in our family that I want you to know about. That um, You may well know that uh, my wife has been having uh, increasing problems with Parkinson's and uh, yesterday morning about four in the morning she had a stroke and um, she is in uh, Saddleback Hospital this morning in the intensive care unit. Um, she is going to survive this, they believe. Uh, the only question will be what degree of impairment or disability she might have. So I've walked with you through a lot of your times in hospitals and struggles with your loved ones. And um, I thought this morning that I just needed to share this with you and say, I, um, I need you to be a pastor to me and to our family. And not only that, I, I wanted to preach on this morning. I was going to have Steve read my manuscript, but I'm going to do my best to summarize it this morning. Thank you for praying for her. She, she knows me. She knows people. Um, they're going to take a tube out of her mouth sometime today. And, uh, but who knows what the future is. But it's just another brush with uh, our mortality that all of us work with and struggle with and have anxieties about, fears about. And um, the anthem this morning really nails the text that I read to you in terms of we are not alone. God is with us. And that is a precious promise without which we cannot well live. The psalm this morning deals with 
one of the major issues in the theological vocabulary called theodicy, or how do we justify the ways of God in human life? How do we understand where God is at and what God is doing in our life experience? I know that we've all struggled with this in, in many different ways. We ask, is God good? And sometimes we ask, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, we know that they do. And um, we struggle with our faith and our understanding of God. And, uh, and if you put it in the overall context of the cosmos, you know, and of human history and where we are right now as a nation, as people, as a church, um, we wonder at times where God is at work and what is, our, what is required of us in our faith. So I read Psalm 73. That's one of my favorite psalms. Almost a humorous psalm if it weren't so important and powerful in, um, in its message for us. Psalm 73, written by one of the theologians and musicians of Israel. Truly God is good to the upright, to those who are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pain. Their bodies are sound and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not plagued like other people. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes swell out with fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven, and their tongues range over the earth. Therefore, the people turn and praise them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Such are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I've kept my heart clean. And washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been plagued and am punished every morning. If I had said I will talk on in this way, I would have been untrue to the circle of your children. But when I thought about how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until... I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Truly you set them on slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. On awaking, you despise their phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was stupid and ignorant. 
I was like a brute beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me with honor. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire other than you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Indeed, those who are far from you will perish. You put it into those who are false to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge to tell of all your works. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite Old Testament theologians is Walter Brueggemann. And he uh, presses many of the Psalms into three different uh, categories or schema as he calls it. Some of the Psalms reflect a worldview in which the psalmist is securely oriented in the world. All is well. Other Psalms, and indeed more Psalms, I think in, that, in this category, are really Psalms of lament when, when that secure orientation of life, that well-being and security is, is somehow uh, falls away into a painful disorientation with which the believer struggles in that particular phase of his or her life. But then there are these other psalms in which there is a surprising reorientation in which not just the original well-being is rediscovered, but a whole new beginning comes into our lives. And one could say that our whole spiritual journey takes place around those three movements, our seasons of our lives. I don't know about you, but I like to dwell in that secure orientation place where God is in heaven and I am on earth and all is well. There is peace and well-being. The economy's going good. We like the politics. The church is whole. It looks like there's going to be peace in the world. All the things that we love, we, we are peaceful from the inside out, our relationships are strong, and life is going good with us. Truly, God is good to the upright and to the pure in heart. That's the basic theological principle. It's, just, it's the principle of, of the book of Job that gets tested. Job, the good and righteous men, who walks with God and who has all the physical blessings from walking with God. He's healthy. He's wealthy. He's wise. He has a great family, great possessions. Things are going well for Job.
Down deep, every one of us wants to be a Job person, a Psalm 1 person who walks in the way of the Lord, whose life is deeply rooted in the Word of God, who meditates on the law of God day and night. His life becomes like a tree planted by streams of water, and it bears fruit abundantly. Life is good. Brueggemann went to say that these kinds of psalms of secure orientation, and there are a number of them that are important in the, in the Psalter, but the great prayers of, of the Psalter do not come out of that orientation. If anything, they come out of times when our life is dislocated, when we've been painfully disoriented. Something has come into our life. The psalmist does not tell us what it was exactly that happened to him, except that he was broken and persecuted, and he confessed in this movement of this season of his life that he was envious, that he was jealous, that he resented people who seemed to have it all and for whom life was going well, who never had any troubles. And those happened to be the wicked. You ever wake up one day and you're, you're aware of a world is filled with people who are not right with God and who do not live in right ways and it seems like they've got all the blessings of life going for them? I mean, what the psalmist is saying is that these folks, for whom all seems to be going well, it looks like they've just walked out of 24-hour fitness. Their bodies are sleek and trim. They've got strong jawlines, broad shoulders, and some may even carry some silicone in their body in various places. And they keep getting richer. And they've got an arrogant attitude. And pride is their necklace. The psalmist asks, how is it those guys who, who could care less about the law of God, how is it that they seem to carry so many blessings? And life is so tough and difficult for me. I struggle with my losses whether it's economic or whatever, health-wise. We come to church and we find ourselves that this is really a hospital for sinners. <laughs> for broken people. <laughs> for people who've discovered the meaning of suffering. Who've lost loved ones and who live with disabilities. And maybe our ten churches that are deeply divided and broken and desperately need to be healed and, and to get engaged in the central task of doing the mission of Jesus Christ. The psalmist says, one day I, I, I awakened and I became aware that if I kept on talking this way and believing this way, and that I would be untrue 
to your children, O God. He said, I've found such difficulty in understanding life. You ever have trouble understanding what's going on in the world, in your life, and the lives of people that you care about? I've often thought, if I just had a pill that I could give to people who are in trouble and solve their problems, if I could just speak a word or preach a sermon or be a more adequate pastor or whatever, only to face my own powerlessness and the issues in my own soul, in my life. And it seems like God's servants are not without some suffering and troubles from time to time. I was asked to write an article on prayer in the Psalms for a national magazine called Prayer Connect. I wrote it last spring. And um, it just was published and I was reading a copy of it and I realized still true today it's entitled my article's entitled um, you will have trouble it just depends on what kind of trouble you're talking about I think the psalmist was confessing in this psalm that if I carried on this way that I would never have recovered. I would have become a bitter, broken, disillusioned, disappointed person who might conclude that God is not good. That maybe even there is no God. He says, that was where I was headed. He says, I was on slippery ground. My feet had almost stumbled until I went into the sanctuary of God. And entering the sanctuary and hearing the word proclaimed and feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit in the people's lives in the temple, of joining the communal prayers, His vision of God and of the world was transformed. He was surprisingly reoriented. And he began to be healed. This is what I know to be true on the basis of being in the sanctuary of the house of God in worship. Is that the Lord is still with me and us. And that the Lord holds my hand. I love that metaphor. The Lord holds my hand and the Lord guides me and us. And the Lord counsels us with his wisdom. And it makes all the difference. I think he wants to say more than anything. Truly, God is good to the upright. And to those who are, are pure in heart. And Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So we're here this morning. Part of me is in <clears throat> fear and trembling and concern for my beloved wife. 
know, though, that she is in the Lord's hands, even as I am and as we are. And I believe the promise of Romans chapter 8, where the Apostle Paul said, I've become absolutely convinced that there's nothing in life or in death, no power above or power below, that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the faith. That's the hope. That's the love that sustains our lives and for which we come to this place in this time on these Sunday mornings seeking to be filled up anew and strengthened for the journey. Pray with me. Lord, we do lift our hearts to you. We are your children. You placed us in our families. You placed us in a larger family. Your people, the family of Christ. We pray that you will do in our lives what you've been doing throughout the centuries, and that is redeeming us and transforming us giving to us your mind, transforming our vision, drawing us together in places like this so that we can be together and comfort each other and walk together into the fullness of your plan for each and every one of us and for the whole creation. We thank you for being such a loving God. We pray in your name. Amen. I invite you to stand and let's affirm our faith together. The words from Romans chapter 8, we read responsively. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God who indeed intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will hardship, our distress, our persecution, our famine, our nakedness, our peril, our sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You may be seated as we receive the morning offering. Lord, you are good, and your mercy.
to meet the morning of the dead. Your tender mercies always calling from behind. At times, I could not see you even though you were close by. Church, let us stand and sing, and Lord, you are good. Let us pray. How wonderful are your ways, almighty God. How marvelous is your name, holy and sovereign Lord. You alone are God, and we lift up our hearts to you this morning in joyful praise. Before we know what to ask, you are fashioning out of your love everything that we need. And for our church, we ask that you would cause us to use our talents and gifts to spread throughout our neighborhoods, homes, and schools and places of work, the good news of your reconciling love 
and goodness. We pray for all of those in our church who are serving as missionaries throughout this world. Care for their families, bless them with fruit in their ministry, and provide for their needs. We pray for those parts of the world that need your peace even as we gather here for worship. We pray especially this morning for Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria. We continue to lift up Texas, Louisiana, Florida, and Puerto Rico as they recover from the hurricanes. We think now of Northern and Southern California as they continue to battle and recover from wildfires. We pray for those who have lost their homes, for the first responders, for their safety, strength, and endurance and for all of those agencies as they care for the needy. And this morning we do pray for Jerry and for Kay, that you would be the God of all comfort and strength to them. Pray especially for Kay that you will bring healing and strength and recovery, that she even now this morning would sense your peace and your presence. We thank you for this church. Thank you for the compassion and the goodness that this church has brought to each of us and our families. We can think specifically of those people who've reached out with your goodness and compassion to us in our trying times, which has really been you reaching out to us with the love of Jesus that we need. And so now we offer to you and all that we have ourselves and, and our finances and union with Christ's offering for us, we pray for your blessing on this offering to the glory of Jesus Christ the one who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
life and in death, we belong to God. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, go forth in peace. Amen.